0: Welcome to the Foreign and National Podcast, a show exploring diversity, inclusion, and our personal therapy sessions. My name is Sean, and I'm Vibu. How are you doing, Vibu?
1: I'm doing good. It's a little bit foggy here in SF, but I'm doing pretty well. Solid, how you doing?
0: I'm good. It's all nice blue skies where I am, so I can't complain too much. Professor, Thanks. how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing excellent here in Texas. So it's bright sunny no rain today for a change
1: hey that's kind of nice can't complain about good weather <laughs> how hot is it in Austin right now in are you in Austin
2: no I am in the suburb of Houston so it's close to 90 if I recall what I checked last time so
0: got it Well, anyways, to give our viewers a bit of context, today we have on Professor Rahul Chakraborty from uh, CSUF. Uh, He works in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders, and he's doing a lot of work uh, in the area of accent bias and accent privilege. So looking at, I guess, almost discrimination and perceptions through the lens of how your accent can influence the way people see you or the way you act um professor do you want to give a little bit of background about yourself since you know as a professor only you probably have the best understanding of your work and can give our viewers a little bit of context into the content before we just dive in with the questions we have
2: my academic background has touched multiple related areas for example undergraduation in speech and hearing sciences in india then masters in linguistics with a lean towards psycholinguistics, neurolinguistics, then a doctoral degree in speech physiology, then primary area of research was speech motor control uh, of bilingual people. Now recently last three, four years, uh, more towards accent related biases and how that impacts Mm -hmm. our society.
0: Cool. That makes a lot of sense. So I mean the common theme I can sense there, which I'm sure anyone can sense, there's a lot of focus on speech and linguistics. So how did you, you know, sort of get into that? What was the the inspiration or the passion route that took you to studying that and you know spending so many years figuring it out and trying to characterize it?
2: I was a student of anthropology for six months and during that period. One of my teachers um, inspired me to join speech language pathology because I, as a student of anthropology, I was primarily interested in two separate aspects. One is what is the underlying reason behind bipedal gait? Number two, what is the biological foundation of speech and language skills, which is uh, a skill set which is making us very different from say Homo erectus or Neanderthal men. And uh, that was the starting point. And then gradually it fascinated me how human brain executes so many variations within a second using feed forward feedback mechanisms and the journey continued. And then I wanted to explore more about myself, understand as a bilingual, what I am going through, why I'm going through what I'm going through, what are the underlying internal processes going on. So
0: right, right. Very
2: gradually, it was more introspective attempt.
1: Well, that's kind of cool. What's uh, so in this introspection? What are some of the key things that have stuck out to you that you've learned about yourself?
2: Multiple things, non without prioritizing any. That uh, Mm -hmm. as we desperately attempt to get hold of a particular language, we try to realize that all these languages have some aspects very common in themselves. At the same time, when we switch from one language to another, after a certain age, it is really difficult to be very close to the native uh, speaker of that particular language. And The more you practice, probably you seamlessly switch from one language to another language. Active immersion, is one of the better ways to learn a language. So there are multiple different things that I feel today I should have done earlier in my life. Such as? For example, if I had spent little more time immersing myself completely with those linguistic groups, for example, if I need to learn Hindi, if mm-hmm. I had managed to immerse myself with Hindi speaking people completely, then probably I would have learned certain syntactic aspects of that, certain phonological aspects. And these languages are basically a window to a one particular cultural group. Just because I do not read or write Hindi that fluently, I do not have access to that wealth of literature that is there in that particular language. Luckily, I read and write Bengali. I can access that literature right right so these languages to me are basically windows to one particular cultural group and the more you know about different cultures probably we tend to become either more respectful or more claustrophobic about different cultural variations
0: so so talking about you know learning a second language uh, you brought up the example where Learning it earlier is you know, beneficial to learning it later. How important do you think uh, your geographic location is? Like, Do you believe that you have to be physically immersed in the culture to, to learn not, it? Or...
2: I'm not saying you have to be because these decisions when you are a kid are completely dependent on your parental, their occupation, where they live. It's beyond you. But after a certain point, when you increase your mobility, if you are really fascinated with one particular language or if parents really want to give their kid a gift, uh, an immersion program could be a very good gift compared to so many mm-hmm. other tangible uh, objects that quite often we gave to our kids.
1: Is there, have you ever researched if there's anything biological that occurs when you try to learn a language immersed in the actual culture of the language versus learning it on your own?
2: I do not, I haven't read any paper where they have, in an experimental study where they have compared immersion program versus independently, somebody is desperately trying to learn something, controlling all the other variables. Yeah, but there are definitely neurological changes where people have said that both the hemispheres are uh, being actively participant i mean both the hemispheres participate more in bilinguals compared to monolinguals there are some uh, influence on uh, memory literature alzheimer's literature where they say that bilinguals are at mm, advantageous positions
0: yeah yeah i mean that
1: i could see that that makes a lot of sense let's Pivot a little bit to your research, uh, specifically since you uh, have been studying accent bias. We read one of your papers, like we talked about in our last call, we read one of your papers about accent bias. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to offer a very high-level summary that you essentially took three cohorts of people. Uh, you took speech-language pathologists, uh, speech-language pathologist students, pathology students, uh speech language pathologists who were new in their career and pathologists who were later on in their career and these are people who study speech language um, for their you know for their vocation you then offered them quizzes on bias that were meant to test out bias and you found that uh every cohort represented every cohort had a high degree of bias even the most educated who had been in speech language pathology for a long time. Is that a fair summary?
2: Yeah, very close. So basically we are trying to say through this data, uh, that is, we all are biased, let's accept it. Yeah. And unless you acknowledge that you are biased, you will probably not do anything to ensure that right. your bias is not interfering with your decision-making uh, steps or skills.
1: Agreed. So, I, in this vein, and it doesn't have to be limited to this piece of research, because I know you do research on uh, a lot of other things too, but what parts of your research holistically do you find the most intriguing? Is there anything that really blew you away, the results of which blew you away, or that confirmed big suspicions what are you most excited about or intrigued by
2: this question there are two ways i would address number one it's impossible for me being so greedy about the research interests i have, Mm -hmm. to say that i prefer a versus b all those areas are of my interest However, when a researcher continues on one particular area during a particular time window, there are multiple factors. If I'm not doing physiological research, it could be because accessibility to certain instruments uh, that is not there. Or if I'm leaning more towards one particular issue, that means that particular issue is probably perturbing me more at this point in time. So as of now, accent bias and its consequences and how politically people are charged and how ignorant we all are about these sensitivities, uh, that's troubling me. And all my research questions are indirectly uh, could be called, they are offshoot of this underlying restlessness at this point, but there was a point when I was very much interested in um, speech motor control where upper lip, lower lip and jaw movement, how a bilingual person who have two different sets of syntactic, phonological, morphological, semantic, pragmatic rules, they are using the same set of muscles. And depending on the target language, a speaker is seamlessly changing the control mechanism or movement control mechanism. That was very fascinating to me. So it it keeps changing. So as of now, it's accent bias. And that's what Mm -hmm. I'm doing predominantly. In addition to a little bit of acoustic analysis of cross-linguistic interaction.
0: Understood, understood. I definitely want to ask you about the acoustic analysis and maybe some technical details there. But before we do that, I wanted to ask, you know, historically, accent bias is something that's been kind of the forefront of human history, right? We've always had a level of bias or discrimination. What ways do you see that it's evolved over time? So how would an accent bias researcher say in the 1800s or even before that, compared to the work you're doing today? And like, what differences do you see as we progress technologically, do you think?
2: more publications, that means more and more researchers are spending their time thinking about different aspects of accent related bias. And obviously more and more students are getting involved and media is probably paying attention. For example, you were talking to me at this point, 50 years back, probably nobody would be interested in this. There were more no other issues uh, at that particular point in time. So. Um, more publications, yeah. more and more journals are interested in uh, accent-related biases. Speech-language pathologists are overtly talking about it. If you see the School of Business uh, management institutes, they extensively talk about accent-related bias and how that might interfere with their business models, economic um, right right condition of different companies speech language exactly. pathologist is trying slowly to get into it so mm-hmm. so, do
0: you, so do you think that this increased interest comes from like you know new diversity initiatives by uh, employers or what do you think the the push has been that this has been such a growing field in the you know past couple of decades
2: Multiple factors in a very, I mean, since life is very non-linear, any outcome is a result of multiple factors actively participating. Social media, I would say more and more people are vocalizing what they are feeling. Earlier, we didn't have that option. Today, anybody mm-hmm. can say anything to anybody. The moment you post something, doesn't matter if you're a celebrity or somebody, if somebody is not feeling comfortable, they will say and following that chain, some other people might think, oh, I didn't think about this aspect of bias. Let me put my experience there. So that's one area. Next, people are realizing that this cannot go on. I mean, there are legal consequences, even though it's very difficult to prove somebody has been uh, subjected to bias because of their accent, there are other Mm -hmm. variables. However, employers are becoming much more cautious because who wants a lawsuit looming on the horizon? Now, then researchers are realizing that this is almost a kind of uncharted area. People are trying to understand that why is this happening? Are there ways we can minimize this, at least in uh, the vocational environment, academic environment, In the medical setup, nursing programs, they are talking about it when more and more uh, people from different linguistic backgrounds are coming to different countries and they are interacting. There was a point only patients predominantly had this concern. Even today, if you see doctors, physical therapists, allied medical professionals, nurses, physical therapists, speech pathologists, that means service provider and service recipient both have more or less a near similar concern. So all those factors club together, I think, have created a massive boost in a re- interest in this accent-related biases and what should be done, what should not be done, etc.
1: Understood. Understood. You know, one thing I think we we should dive deeper into is we've been seeing accent bias a lot. How does that bias manifest? In what ways have you seen uh, the bias behave?
2: Personal experience is something data says something slightly different. See, when in experimental setup we collect data, people tend to become little conscious. And they try to project their best possible social identity. Mm -hmm. But in personal experience, when I say personal experience, that means my personal experience, experience of people who are very close to me, their experience even becomes my experience eventually. And so regardless of what your first language is, no matter whether you are in the United States or another part of the world, there will definitely be some in-group, out-group kind of separation. At times it is based on language, at times it is based on your religion, skin color, attire. There will be some variable which will be separating two groups of people. Now, with that, if we know that there exists a difference and the difference should not make any difference if that is what I have in my mind, then I'll interact with that particular person a little differently. Versus if my entire decision bank is based on, okay, this person is different on this particular account. Hence, I will interact with this particular person in a very different manner. Then it is, uh, we are getting into a very slippery slope. There is a cascading effect
0: i I wanted to ask uh you'd mentioned during these studies you know people project a social version of themselves that may not be uh let's say true to life how do you how do you get around this sort of influence or this uh almost like an error in your data where people aren't representing true to themselves? you know which biases they have or how they might react to a situation if it's actually in public as opposed to a controlled setting like an experiment or a research study?
2: In experimental setup, it seems people tend to re- behave and respond in a very textbook kind of manner. And uh, in the, almost nothing matters. For example, if I am your participant, if you ask me a question related to accent bias, I'll try to say that, no, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with all those variations. I'm fine mm-hmm. perfectly. It doesn't matter to me. And variation is beautiful. That's what I love about this world. So many different cultures. And the moment you say that, will you feel comfortable if your kid tests um, something very different from your culture? Um, l- let me think about it. It's a very good question. <laughs> so
0: yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying.
2: So it, it is not re- only related to accent. It is related to everything. Um, right,
0: right. I guess, I, I guess that sort of self consciousness must come in where they don't want to say the wrong thing or or seem like they're biased or discriminating or racist or right. whatever the term might be.
2: Right, and and how often will you see people very clearly say, "Yes, I'm biased." Yeah. Yes, right. I'm biased. When you ask people this simple question: Do you think you are biased? No. Usually, <laughs> that will be the most defensive answer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right so how do you so how do you kind of um counteract that to ensure the validity of your of your findings or your study or is that just a, like a bias you have to apply to your own work knowing that people might be or not might be people definitely are inflating their perception of themselves
2: yes that's the reason we have to be very careful while asking questions mm-hmm. because uh and we try to keep questions very very inoculate um and so a sample question could be based on somebody's accent can you guess their obesity level oh wow uh, okay so it's That's a very simple question according to some people uh, i think i can another uh, another set of people might even say that these are completely unrelated thing you cannot But uh, the data says, and that's what we hoped, that everybody will say that, are you ignorant? That from accent, you were guessing somebody's obesity level? As of today, I haven't read any paper, But based on the acoustic signal, you can get an idea about their uh, physical structure. Um, Unless that happens, these questions are, these variables are very unrelated. Yeah, and if after that people are consistently saying oh yes I can do that oh yes I can do I mean I can guess their intelligence level based on their accent and if that comes from a person who is not a part of this particular academic pocket but if it comes from people who are regularly going to academic institutions be it grade 12, 11, college, undergraduates, anywhere. It's a scary situation, I think.
1: Yeah. For exa- Was that a question you actually asked? Uh, can you tell people's obesity level based on their accent?
2: Some of the questions had very similar flavors. Oh, wow. And How in often... one of the papers, I think I also appended those questions in uh, at the very end of the paper.
1: I'm really curious, how often did people answer yes versus no? And if they answered yes, you know, did they actually give a, a I don't know, a expectation or justification in some way? No, yeah. uh,
2: I, as a, you know, first initial papers, I did not push them there because the moment you see, you have to justify certain things then you have to get into a very deeper thought probably. And -hmm. if I cannot justify certain things, I'll not choose that option. But in a very instinctive manner, oh yeah, I think it is a check. But yes, I can guess.
1: And there were people who actually said, yes, I think I can guess.
2: Oh yes, there are so many people. That's the reason based on that. Uh, We had to conclude that, yes, we have seen biases all throughout on all those experimental groups, however, one group was more than another, and we saw a gradation of that.
1: And in your research, acoustic signals can't scientifically, uh, don't scientifically correlate to uh, shape uh, body shape.
2: Uh, the, I have not read any paper, but definitely, I feel that acoustic signal has got something to do with the supralaryngeal vocal tract, like your entire vocal track, that L-shaped track. And Mm -hmm. you can infer based on different formant frequencies uh, because based on the size of the tube, you know what will be the frequency range it could produce, how it could produce. And there are fine-grained acoustic measurements which which could be done. But the thing is, if you start claiming that, you can guess somebody's intelligence level based on their accent. Um, it's it's tough, and we see that everywhere. For example, political leaders are often asked to reduce their non-native accents because it was found that they are perceived as less powerful and untrustworthy. Oh wow, um, that's that's quite a slippery slope there. Right. I mean, for example, even in academic sector, professors and students in high schools and college settings, in some cases, acceptance to certain schools are affected. I mean, even in the law sector, um, accent bias influence judgments of judges and jurors, civil rights violations against accent discrimination, however, are difficult to prove as it is. Uh, it could happen under the veil. Mm-hmm. Patients prefer physicians with native accents. Nurses with non-native accents are rated as less competent. So it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Media. It really
1: is everywhere. Yes. So in this same vein, I was really intrigued in your paper by your Dell and Lehman Brothers call center example, wherein folks, uh, customers were complaining that they couldn't understand the people on the other end of the line when they called into the two companies call centers and so the two companies brought their call centers back to the US what do you think of that do you think that was the right decision and knowing everything you do now uh, would you agree that that was the best decision to make or would you advise to make another decision
2: see it's uh, this is a very difficult question for a person like me for example if i am the customer mm-hmm. and i have bought a product from one particular company and the customer service uh, every day, I have to spend a huge amount of time. If there is some help, technical help I need, there will be a point probably I'll get irritated. Right. And I want to talk to somebody, but there is less of communication disruption. That's one thing. And because of that, am I losing customers? Is it related to my total revenue, if it is affecting as a company uh, official, I might lean towards choosing somebody who offer better customer satisfaction. Am I making mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. At the same time, yes. <clears throat> as a customer, if I have chosen somebody uh, or I, I can be told that These are the customer service providers and they might have a different accent, but they are extremely efficient. And that's the reason we have chosen these people because of their technical efficiency. And that time probably I might think a little differently because if I start associating their accent with their technical skills or their intelligence, then I might say that, no, I do not want that particular person. But if I know, regardless of that particular person's accent, these people are technically comparable to anybody else, then probably I'll start viewing those people a little differently. Mm -hmm. So it it happens in the medical sector also. There are so many doctors with non-native accents, you see so many native people, they go and see those doctors, because they know for sure he is or she is one of those better doctors. So the quality of service, if that could be presented in the very forefront, then probably it would be a different picture altogether. But uh, right. I cannot completely blame any company for shifting their base from place A to place B because of customer complaint.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it's a very tricky and complicated problem to solve, especially since you don't even know what biases or perceptions your customers are going to have to respond. And I'm sure there maybe was a small percentage of people who were confident in these outsourced call centers that they were able to help solve the problem. So yeah, def- definitely very tricky to kind of cater to, to everyone's biases in these cases.
2: And, and so, when I look at it, for example, if that happens to me every day, or every yeah. month I have to talk to somebody to sort of resolve my computer issues. Mm-hmm. And I'm spending three hours and we are not getting anywhere. It, it is bound to give me some kind of repulsive behavior towards that company. I'll get angry.
1: Right. So right. I, I'm i curious now, and this is just a, a thought that's definitely probably at the edge of an ethical line, but when we talked last you also said such things such as accent reduction therapy exists Mm -hmm. do you think that's also is that a ethically viable option for people who want to outsource parts of their business
2: it's uh, to me i mean by now you might have realized that i'm a little more biased towards some some kind of respect for every possible accent on earth yes Um, The need is very individual. For example, if I'm an actor and I'm preparing for a role, I have to seek some kind of accent help, right? That's a different issue versus I have to modify my accent to retain my job or to retain uh, a better relationship with my surroundings, Mm -hmm. then I think we are not in a very healthy environment and let me qualify, what do I mean? My need to modify my inherent accent which is related to my identity, be it skin color, be it my height, be it my attire, I want to change myself because I cannot fit in or I'm getting a continuous feedback from somebody that you have to modify this because other people are having difficulty with this aspect of your identity. Then I think we have to uh, consider multiple variables very, very carefully to ensure that we are not subjecting somebody uh, under some kind of ethnocentric lens.
1: Understood, agreed, understood, completely agreed. It's a very complicated situation, at least in the example that we gave um, from your paper, because part of the service that is given isn't just, can you fix this thing that's broken? Part of the service is, uh, can you communicate with me? Can you explain to me? Can you calm down my concerns? And if that's something that uh, a person is struggling to do, on the other hand, it arguably isn't a completion of the entire service that somebody calls into a call center for. Um, And that makes a very difficult situation, which to your point, absolutely all accents should be respected because they all come from a different place of culture um, that is very real to the individual person. And how do you uh, reconcile that with the need to provide a service where understanding is so important? communicating and understanding that is so important. That's right.
2: And the the funny part is, quite often we associate non-native accent with somebody's, uh, like speech intelligibility, how clearly you could understand somebody. Um, And these are different constructs. It's not necessary that just because somebody has a non-native accent, you cannot understand that particular person. Um, So uh, quite often we confuse everything and we say that, okay, just because somebody has an honorary accent, okay, the person is in the other bin. I need somebody who speaks the way I speak. This in-group, out-group, ethnocentric issue is very, very prevalent. And uh, if we treat it very superficially, we will be very, very linear in our judgment. We will be saying, okay, no, you cannot, Lehman Brothers and Dell did the wrong thing. That will be our judgment. And that's another danger.
0: Right, right. Agreed. And that's that's always the case with sort of these kind of cultural problems is that you lean too hard either direction and you're still not any closer to the solution. Uh, Professor, I, I wanted to ask, um, we did you know uh, another episode or a quick take rather, it was a shorter episode about um, some accent related issues that Vibhu and I deal with, and I wanted to get your opinion on it. So what what we talked about is, you know Vibhu and I will often, when talking to our elders or talking to people from India or in our culture, switch from our American accent to an Indian accent in English still. Uh, and I think it's in hopes to make them understand better. Um, I'm not sure what the logic behind it is because we kind of it's do it subconsciously. It's more subconscious
1: than anything else, yeah.
0: It is, yeah. It's very subconscious. We'll kind of switch to that sort of accent. And I wanted to ask, what's the kind of psychology behind why we would do this or why we, we switch our accents when speaking to someone from our native land? Do you think it's like a inherent trying to connect with them better or make them understand us better? Or is there something else totally at play that, that we're missing here?
2: Whatever I have read, um, the literature says that there are multiple variables. And those variables are, for example, what is your motivation to communicate with that particular person or the interlocutor? Okay, If you are very desperate to ensure that you communicate well, you will probably behave very differently with that person who has a very different kind of accent. And if you want to execute a repulsive behavior, you might still hold on to a very foreign kind of tongue. With that particular person. If uh, we decide that uh, okay, I will talk to you in English but my accent will definitely change if I'm talking to somebody who is from the Indian subcontinent because once again, a part of me strongly feels that we have to feel that in-group kind of affinity.
0: Right, right. Okay, and, that and that, makes more that sense.
2: reduces the so-called communication stress substantially, and once we start achieving those bonds, we get we communicate. It, it's much more economical semantically, uh, with reference to time, everything. And then there is something called cultural identity um, syndrome. If I feel that. I'm talking to my grandmom, and it's difficult for my grandmom to approximate my accent, but I have the flexibility to approximate her accent. So let me do that. And we do that with other areas also. For example, quite often somebody is walking with you, and you realize the other person cannot walk that fast, even though you can run very fast you tend to slow down and you pick up their pace without making them very conscious about it so that's a human tendency quite often we do that
1: too I my oh actually let me pause a little bit my I'm just thinking about our entire conversation and the example that I keep thinking of you know, from our personal lives is uh, within Indians itself, right? There is a bias between Indians grown in America versus Indians who grew up in India and have an Indian accent, a stronger Indian accent when they speak English. One side thinks the other side is too Western, the other side thinks the other one is too Indian, and there are biases associated with that. Um, And I've heard so many variations of this from both sides um, that manifest in terms of Uh, commenting on intelligence to commenting on uh, cultural awareness to hygiene to uh, you know just all sorts of things that aren't exactly fair if you just judge it based on an accent Mm. it's really unfortunate
2: yes but if you look at human civilization um, the very fact you can talk about it today the very fact you have registered those moments at your age that is a step forward definitely uh,
1: boosting off of that what does what is your ideal future look like um, where do you think where do you, where would you like to see your research go uh what other research do you want to see come out what other actions do you want to see happen
2: uh um, See, there are multiple prongs I have in my research work and um, overall, the umbrella goal is not probably, definitely a sensible appreciation of potential social, academic and economic consequences of speaking with a non-native accent and how listeners uh, understand how listeners say construct a different stereotype and stigma and which might eventually help minimize adverse consequences of non-negative accent. This is the overall say goal and if we say go to a high school student group and say that this these are the atrocities that has happened uh, recently in my personal family and What do you think? We do a little bit of task analysis. The more we talk about this, I think it will help them realize that, oh, even I do that thing too. Mm -hmm. And what are the consequences? So, in a formal answer to your question, could be one, we want to understand what is happening, we want to understand why that is happening. We also want to understand what are the ways we can manipulate the final outcome. For example, we can educate one group that these are the things which are happening. And another group, we can tell them, if you do this, these are the consequences. And eventually see which group is responding in what way. Where do I see less amount of bias? Mm -hmm. more academic programs, if they start infusing these issues, like anybody who are in customer service area, if they are made sensitive or more receptive to these nuances. And quite often, if we talk about economy, how it is related to money, that might make a big difference. For example, if I say that there are x number of non native speakers of english in this particular locality mm-hmm. and you want to open a store there you better learn how to respect accent variation and there there is no store offering these products so what do you what will you do will you hold on to your bias or Will you go there and be a little respectful? And then you realize they're giving you a huge amount of money. For example, if accent modification therapy is offering you a huge amount of money, a speech-language pathologist will venture into that area. Mm-hmm. If you being respectful to different accents get you a job, you will do that. Right. Right. If there is a course offered in your university, which is made mandatory uh, about bias, prejudices, accent being one part of it, you will have to take that course. It's almost like a social science civic course, ethics course. I mean, imagine uh, throughout the globe, I'm talking about the entire globe. uh, People 300, 400 years old politicians are making policies who cannot even work properly, think properly, yeah, and they're yeah. still holding on to their 300, 400-year-old value system, and that is destructive to so many people. Yep. So, younger generation yeah. has to pick up. They have yeah. to come up. Yeah. V- v-
0: v- v- Vibhu and I routinely, I don't want to say complain, but do acknowledge that you know our kind of political system is set up and that a lot of people out of touch with today's kind of youth and reality are the ones guiding our future so it's it's an uphill battle on all ends but yeah definitely that that makes sense right regardless right. professor we wanted to thank you for your time and i think vibu and i both learned a great deal about this just from reading your papers and talking Absolutely. with you today and the last time we talked
2: no i enjoy talking to you and and thank you as i said last time too i mean this is a movement. It will take time. And but those small steps that you all, all have initiated and thought about this particular issue um makes people like us who are working in this area think that yes, probably it is reaching out to people. So yeah, we'll do we'll
1: part too. of those steps. Exactly.
0: We'll we'll do our best to, to spread the word and you know, make sure this movement continues on, and that your work gets the exposure it deserves.
2: Thank you very much. I wish yep. you good luck. Stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a
1: good one. Thanks, everyone, for listening as well. Bye. Thank you all.